Hello, welcome to another episode of the Code 321 podcast. Today we have a very special guest. Bill Cattell is with me. I first met Bill during my paramedic program, and we're really excited to have him on the show today. We're going to be talking about how to get a job, the different types of jobs in EMS that you can have, and a little bit about how to get from where you are to those jobs. So hello, Bill. Welcome. Uh, hello. Nice to, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. So what we usually like to do with our guests is just talk a little bit about how you got into EMS, how you didn't end up being a ship captain, how you got to where you are today, um, and a little bit about what you're doing now and how those things all came together over the last few years. Sure, yeah. Uh, I kind of fell into EMS. Uh, I was uh, working at a restaurant and uh, an EMT class came available and I said, you know, I'd, I'd like to kind of maybe maybe be an EMT. So I went to the class and it was really interesting and then I kind of got bit by the bug. So I, uh, I got done with the class. I took a job as a firefighter down on the Cape, and uh, I did that for uh, a little while as a volunteer. And then um, I thought, boy, this would be a, a great career. Um, so I did that for about three or four years, uh, just being a volunteer, and uh, got paid a little bit on the side. And uh, I had a strange call that I, 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 was, I was bothered that I couldn't do more for the patient that we had. And uh, that's when I decided to, to hop on and become a paramedic. So uh, that was 30 years ago um, that I started my EMS career. And I got my medic 25 uh, years ago. And uh, I've been in private EMS ever since. It suited me a little bit better than fire uh, just because my, my, my mom taught me a little, a little better than to run into burning buildings everybody else is running out of. So I, um, I became a private EMS uh, down in the Boston area for uh, about 17 or 18 years. Um, and I really enjoyed that, working closely with all the local fire departments and uh, being their ALS component in their um, tier response. And it was a, a great experience for me. And it was nice uh, being a young kid, just uh, you know, kind of going with your hair on fire. Oh, yeah, for sure. Can you tell everyone a little bit about how long were you in EMT before you became paramedic? Uh, I was in EMT for about four years. And I figured that's about the right amount of time to kind of hone your craft and understand uh, what it is to be uh, a provider for a sick patient. You know, when you become a paramedic, your time to learn what sick looks like is uh, is not while you're a paramedic. It's while you're an EMT. Yeah, for sure. And you're in a unique position because, at least for me, you were always one of our lead instructors for my paramedic program. And I think um, if you could talk just a little bit about what makes a great paramedic as an EMT. So if you're looking around, I know you've worked some other places as well too, and I'm sure you've seen young bucks come through being EMTs and wanting to be paramedics, and some of them probably did awesome, and some of them probably had a really tough time as a paramedic. If you have a newer guy and they're an EMT or they recently got their license or they're developing those base skills, what kind of characteristics do you see that really makes you think they're going to be a great paramedic? I think that if uh, I've mentored a lot of guys and the ones that, that really stick out are the, are the folks that uh, come in and they're, they, they want to listen. They're, they're bright-eyed and they really want to learn uh, their craft, but they're also confident. They're, they're kind of cocky. They're confident with their skills. They understand uh, what it is they want to achieve, but they're willing to listen to any advice and follow your lead. Those, those are pretty much the guys that, that are best uh, suited for, for learning their craft. Yeah, absolutely. And we talked a little bit in the last few episodes about the different types of paramedic school and things like that. 
Um, was your program, out of curiosity, was it a college program? Was it a certificate program? Was it was it based through a city system? You know, can you talk a little bit about what that was like? Yeah, I went to Hudson Valley Community College. They offered a course that was accelerated. Uh, it was probably the hardest class that they offered at the college at the time. Uh, you started in October and you were done in March. Uh, and it was 60 hours a week, nonstop. And we started 36, we graduated 12. Uh, so you really had to keep up, and they realized that that probably wasn't the best way to do things. Uh, so only the guys that were super focused and were able to commit to that program 100%, not work, just that was their entire uh, focus for, for their that time of their life, uh, were able to graduate the program. Now they have a two-year program, which is an associate's, uh, and that's better suited for uh, the, the all you need to learn to be a paramedic. Oh, for sure. And you... You got done with your paramedic program. What was your first job coming out of paramedic school? Is the ink still wet on your card? How did you How did you get into it? Did you go right into private EMS? Did you work a little bit in the municipal side? Did you do volunteer stuff? How did, what was your next step? Um, I started for a, a company called Care Plus, and uh, it was down in Bow, uh, New Hampshire, and uh, I was basically put right on the 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 truck it was myself and a basic I was right out of school and uh, I had to kind of fend for myself scariest situation I've ever been in my life oh for sure a kind of sink or swim moment for you then. absolutely yeah so let's segue in a little bit here and for those of you that are dog lovers you may hear a little bit of barking in the background so uh, I always enjoy a good dog so it's actually a puppy so it's very exciting to have a puppy around the station here so um, let's talk a little bit about the different types of EMS you could do. So in my mind, just in my short experience, I seem to find that there's about three main ways you could do EMS. You could do a municipal system, and that includes volunteer paid. Basically, you're working for a town. You're in a government employee or a government volunteer. You could work for a private EMS agency, which is um, something that you have a lot of experience doing. Um, and sometimes those agencies will have contracts with different communities to provide EMS service and transport. Or you could be part of a fire-based EMS system, which is very, very similar to municipal, except for you're probably expected to do some firefighting operations at the same time. So if you want to talk just about what systems you've operated in, I'm sure you've done kind of a blend of all three. Um, and just in, you know, 30 seconds or less, just tell us what the different types are, what the basic pros and cons are. And for the different people that are listening to the podcast, they can maybe pull from that experience and kind of think about which direction they want to go. Uh, sure. Um, third service uh, municipal uh, is a great model. Uh, you're, you work for the town uh, that you're, that you, that you're um, employed by. Uh, usually a tiered response with a uh, fire department uh, responding and police as well. Uh, and you're offering usually the ALS support in that. Um, and it's a nice, it's a nice comfort to have being a town employee working with all those guys. You're on a group uh, and everybody's together, uh, and it's it's more of a a family type oriented, much like the fire service, which I've also had the opportunity to be part of. Uh, they're a little bit more of a brotherhood, uh, and it it was a great uh, opportunity for me. I, I really enjoyed um, being part of those that situation with the with the uh, different uh, groups that. Uh, come on uh, with the same schedule, you get used to the same guys and you, and you become family. Um, with, with the private sector, uh, it's a little bit more uh, wide open. You're not always having the same partner. 
uh, but you're usually um, in the systems that I were were in. We were we were contracted with fire departments, uh, so they had their BLS truck, and then if they if it was an ALS level call, we'd we'd respond in in our uh, SUVs and um, be the ALS element uh, for that response. Um, and that that was great. You get to work with a lot of different fire departments, not just one. Uh, and when I worked in uh, the Arlington area near Boston, uh, we interfaced with uh, at least six or seven different departments, uh, and it was a really unique system and, and a ton of fun. Yeah, man, I, I think uh, one thing to point out for that type of system or any real medic truck-based system, it seems like, in my experience, the nice thing is when you go to those calls, you may have other fire departments there, you may have another BLS ambulance, you may have other crews, police, things like that. Um, but would you say it's pretty fair that when the medic shows up, you kind of get to make some decisions and do some stuff? I mean, it's not like you're going to have people breathing down your neck and telling you every little thing. The fire guys are there to lift and help you and dump on the chest and do whatever they got to do and help out with those BLS skills. But it must be nice to be able to show up on that truck and kind of have your own little crew and you got your system that you're going to do and you can kind of make some decisions and get things moving. Absolutely. It's uh, you and your partner, you show up and the fire department usually has done a great job at stabilizing the patient and getting them ready for your arrival. And uh, they're, they're just sitting there and they'll do whatever you ask them. And it's, it's great to have an extra set of hands uh, to get uh, any patient that may be critical or, or a trauma patient to get them out of the car. They, it's nice to work with those uh, folks because they're, they're true professionals and uh, it, the environment, uh, breeds a, a lot of confidence uh, for the patient as well as, uh, you know, everybody, everybody that happens to be watching, uh, family members, all that. So um, it, it's a great uh, system to be involved with. Yeah, and I know my experience has been mostly in the municipal system and the fire-based DMS system. I haven't really done any privatized work. And the thing that I will say, the biggest difference between municipal and fire-based that I've encountered is when I've worked on municipal agencies in the area, they tend to run maybe two, three, four people at a time on the ambulance. And the vast majority of the calls you go on, unless it's a house fire or a rollover or something really critical like a cardiac arrest, the large majority of those calls you're going to be doing just with your crew. You know, we're going to be going, you know, 15, 20 miles away from the station. You're going to be out there. It's going to be you, your driver, and your, you know, your, your back end guy or your third rider for your EMS junkies out there. And it's, it's going to kind of be you guys. Whereas in the system I work now, where I work, if it's a cardiac arrest, you get two fire suppression units and an ambulance. So you have, I mean, 10 guys there within two, three minutes, which can be, it, it gets you pretty spoiled. You know, you got one guy holding IV tubing, one guy holding the needle, one guy holding the bag. You got all kinds of people to play with. Um, and one of the reasons I chose to run some municipal EMS um, for my pay job on the side was because I wanted to get used to that environment where you're the guy, you know, you, you may have a CPR only driver, you may have an EMT that got certified last week, and you're going out to a, you know, really bad stroke or unresponsive not breathing, and you're 20, 30 minutes away from the hospital, and it's just you. I mean, there's no safety net. And I wanted to be in a system where I would have that kind of pressure and be able to make those decisions and get comfortable with my skills. So I actually chose to do that before I joined the fire department, because I knew I wanted to do it full time. And I knew I wanted to go to paramedic school. Um, and as an AEMT, I kind of tried to put myself in those positions to gain some more of that confidence that you're talking about. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is the difference between interfacility transfer and 911 and how some agencies blend those. 
Do you want to talk a little bit about what an IFT agency is, what a 9-1 agency, and then any experience you've had with those two things intermingling together? Uh, sure. Um, I've, every department that I've, or every uh, private uh, institution that I've worked with has been a blended uh, service. So uh, we would work uh, 911, and we also had uh, the interfacility transports, but it was usually separate trucks. Um, so you would, depending upon your assignment for the day, you'd either hop on to the 911 truck, or if um, it was usually an overtime shift, you'd hop on one of the double duty trucks. And what they did was uh, they had transfers uh, after transfer, uh, and a lot of them were from local hospitals into the city, uh, or uh, some of them were as mundane as uh, from uh, one of the area hospitals to a nursing home. And then uh, you would clear up and immediately be dispatched to a 911 call. So it was great. You were busy. It was in a 12-hour shift. You were doing 10 calls, but it was a lot of fun just uh, having a, a mix of both because not when you have 911 calls all the time, you don't get to meet anybody. You don't get to know anyone. You're just treating the sick. When you have an interfacility transport, you're just trying to make that transport the best part of that patient's day. So you get to meet people and and kind of uh, get to know who they are and, and get some history out of some of the elderly. Uh, and it was a really nice um, mix of, of responsibilities and, and a nice mix of your day uh, to get through. That's a really good point. Where I work, we don't necessarily do interfacility transfers, but there are times where we'll go to a specific facility and the patient will need to go up to the emergency department and we'll bring them from where they are to the emergency department. And they may not have an acute medical condition at the moment, but we're there to help. They call us, we're going to bring them up. And uh, exactly what you were talking about earlier about trying to get to know those people for my own sanity, because there's not really a ton of glory and action going on in those calls. I took to start, um, I tried to start talking to these people and just asking them kind of where they're from. And usually my leading questions are, you know, are you from the area? Did you grow up somewhere else? That usually stimulates about five, 10 minutes of conversation. I say, do you have any kids? Oh, do you, you know, what do your kids do? Those kind of start stimulating. And I had one guy I picked up, I remember that wasn't very talkative and we started talking about some stuff and after a while he opened up a little more it turned out he was a world war ii fighter pilot who got shot down over france and didn't speak any french so he became a prisoner of war for five years by the same side because he didn't speak any french and they didn't speak any english so they didn't know that he was an american pilot and they couldn't communicate to figure that out they ended up breaking his nose he got rescued and all this other stuff and by the time we were pulling into the ER, I wanted to just sit in the parking lot and just hear more about this guy's life. I mean, that's a wild story. And for those of you out there that, you know, are, are cursing it out because you're getting sent to the, to the nursing home for abnormal lab values or whatever, you know, just try to remember these people are people and they do have stories. And some of my best stories I've ever heard are from those types of people. And they're human beings, you know, they've they don't want to be there just as much as you don't, you know, maybe don't want to be there depending on how busy you are. And uh, that story is always a reminder to me that everybody's got something, you know, everybody's interested in some way. So um, as we continue on here, I just want to talk about uh, how you would get hired. So let's talk about, um, let's say you want to get a job, you, you become a brand new EMT. Do you have any options for getting hired and getting paid? And what do those look like? I think for uh, new EMTs, uh, especially the job I have now, uh, I'm director of operations for Garnet Transport Medicine, and we end up uh, doing just uh, interfacility transports, uh, and it's a great learning platform. So you come in, 
you uh, we, we'll do a lot of training with you uh, as a brand new para, or brand new EMT, and then we'll um, make sure that you understand what it is to do a patient assessment. And then you do a patient assessment on every patient that you are taking on a routine transfer. And in doing that, you start to learn your your craft. You start to learn the, and get the tools you'll need to then move on to 911. Uh, situation. So it's it's great. You do a year of interfacility transports, uh, you become really good at patient contacts. And that's the most important part of, of being an EMT is understanding how to talk to patients and, and, and getting a, a good patient assessment. Um, uh, for a little more advanced uh, EMTs, it, it's, a, it's also a good platform uh, because the, the more uh, transfers you do, the better suited you are to move on to the next level. Yeah, and it's probably good to point out it's not like you're taking two EMTs that are a week out of school and putting them on the ambulance together, right? No. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be with somebody that knows what they're talking about, and I think some of the best providers are people that worked under a really good mentor. I know for me, most of the things that I use every day that really are able to make a palpable difference in patients' lives come from the people that mentored me and little tips and tricks that they showed me and my clinical experiences, both in the hospital and in the field. Um, it's very difficult to read the textbook and be an awesome EMT. Would you say that's pretty fair? I, I would say that's 100% clear um, and fair. Uh, so the other part of that is is um, a lot of the new EMTs, uh, they can do volunteer. And unfortunately, in the state of Vermont, that's your only option. You can't get a job usually uh, as a new EMT with a paid service. So if you do your time as a volunteer and it's a lot of fun, uh, some of the towns are really good about about uh, taking you on and, and teaching you the craft. And then if you're, you know, you work six, eight months, then you can go out and say, all right, now I have a little bit of uh, experience under my belt and get a paying job. And it also builds that rapport because most of the people I know in fire and EMS have done some type of volunteering. Pretty much everybody. I mean, whether you're doing it on the side or you're just kind of helping out where you live or you started out and volunteer, um, it's always good experience to pull from. It's a good way to interact with the community. It's a good way to really test your metal and see if you even like EMS. We've had, I remember we had one person on one of the departments I worked on that was really into it, took the whole EMT class, got their EMT card, got in the ambulance, went on one call. It was a cardiac arrest and just walked away and just said, this isn't for me. You know, no harm, no foul. But, you know, and, and I think sometimes that may be a little bit of a better way to test if you even like this job before you really jump in with both feet and leave your full-time job to try to work as a paid EMT and doing all these other things. Sometimes volunteering is a way to just dip your toe in and see if you really like to do it and you know you can meet some people and figure out if that's something you're really interested in. Sure, and there's a lot of senior guys too that have been in it a long time who just feel it's part of their civic respons- responsibility and and uh, giving back a little bit to the town, uh, just being a volunteer for the fast squads or or whatever, and it's a huge help for uh, this rural EMS environment. Absolutely, and it's it's hard for me too. You know, you think about sitting at your house watching TV, and you know your neighbor goes into cardiac arrest. If you're not volunteering, you're not part of something. It's it can be tough to swallow that pill for a lot of people because a lot of people that are in this career they do it because they want to help people, and if there's something they can do to make it better, you know, it may be maybe twenty or you know, 30 minutes for the next paramedic to show up or the next EMT or the next provider. And those first responding agencies and those volunteer EMS agencies really take a lot of stock in the people that apply and work for them. I know they talk about a, you know, a volunteer crisis in the country. And if there's anything you can do, if you're interested, you certainly would be well appreciated by those people. Absolutely. 
And I think more important than anything else, if you just come in and you're, you're new and you just have the attitude that you want to learn and that you're willing to put up um, with the ins and outs of, of uh, a, a career that you don't know and you just want to learn, I think that's the most important part. And if you have a mentor that just sees that you are there because you want to be there, then you're all set. Yeah, absolutely. So the next thing is we have some AEMT courses we offer every year. That's kind of the next step after you get done with your EMT. But if you're not quite ready to go to basically back to college to get your paramedic degree. And I know a lot of the services up where we work, they are looking for AEMTs at a minimum for paid positions. So for people to go work at a local EMS agency as a, um, you know, as a, lead provider as a crew captain, something like that. Uh, those people are really looking for AEMTs. Um, if you're interested in that, and that's does offer AEMT courses, we typically recommend you have at least six months to a year of experience as an EMT that can really help you. However, there's no actual rules about how long you need to wait until you take your A class. For me, I did mine back to back six months apart. And I felt like it went pretty good for me. I would say there was definitely a learning curve when I hit the street, but there's definitely some people out there that learn better from doing. Um, if you have a really great mentor, especially if you're on a fire-based EMS agency or you're on a municipal agency, you're working with a paramedic or another senior AEMT, that's really going to aid in your ability to pick up the material a little quicker. What are you looking for if you were going to hire an AEMT? So let's talk about leadership qualities, the ability to make decisions on the fly, uh, react under pressure, interpersonal skills. Let's say you were interviewing an AEMT, and let's say that in this the service that you're going to be providing, that person's going to be the head of the ambulance. What qualities would you look for in a candidate? I think uh, the... Uh the AEMT has been huge for rural EMS. Uh, we really needed a someone who could gap between uh, EMTs and paramedics are so few and far between we could never get them uh, to respond. So the, the EMTs were left to just do the best that they could. Uh, the AEMT came in and it was just a, a, a huge step in the right direction in, in giving the best care for to, to the patients in, uh, in your charge. So um, for me, I like to see that they were an EMT for a little while. Uh, that they gain some of those skills that uh, are really important for when you take the next step. And then as far as uh, being advanced, um, I, I want you to still be wide-eyed. Don't, don't pretend you know everything uh, and, and be accepting of, of uh, some instruction and correction uh, if, um, if you need to, uh, if you're doing calls and a paramedic or a supervisor has a, has a, um, uh, some information for you that you're going to take it and go, yes, absolutely. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll strive to do it better next time. Um, I, I just think that again, you're a journeyman at an A and you need to be able to uh, adjust and, and move forward and get ready for that next level, uh, to paramedic. But, uh, what I look for again is just somebody that's, um, uh, just willing to, to, to be there a hundred percent and just, learn and uh, and be ready to to do whatever it takes to um, aid the, the patient in their um, their uh, path to good health. Absolutely. And it's probably a good thing to point out. There may be some people that take our courses and are interested in going to the bigger cities, going down where you were working in Boston, maybe going down to New York City, you know, headed out to the West Coast, places like that. 
AEMT is really popular in Vermont because that's that's that rural EMS we're talking about, and you have the ability to do IVs, give some medicines, kind of if you have a little bit more advanced training. We do some leadership at Nets as we bring people through our program. However, if you're going down to Boston, is that is the AEMT something they're going to be looking for there? No, it's not even recognized as a certification. No, you're pretty much you're pretty much either EMT and you're kind of the the student, the chauffeur, the BLS guy helping out, doing what you got to do, or you're the big dog paramedic and you're kind of doing that thing. It's it's important to point out for those of you that are interested in working up towards those big urban systems and climbing the ladder and doing all those things. AEMT is really good in Vermont and it's good in some rural areas, but there are a lot of places in the country that don't necessarily seek out AEMTs. They're looking for EMTs or paramedic. In fact, a lot of positions in ERs as emergency technicians are required to only be EMT and they'll train you to do the full body and the IVs and things like that. A lot of those ERs don't even necessarily recognize AEMT. So if you're looking to go urban, those big city systems, probably a good idea to at least have paramedic on the brain if you're interested in being that go-to person. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I would like to see actually, and this isn't a uh, a thought process that's shared by a ton. Um, I'd like to just see A's and paramedics. That would be the best case scenario for all of the rural EMS setting. Uh, EMTs are awesome. Don't get me wrong. They they are instrumental to uh, rounding out the the whole EMS system. But if everybody was advanced and paramedics, we could provide more care uh, that the patient needs um, in that in that rural setting. Yeah, and I think you're onto something there. I know my current partner's in AEMT, and it's awesome. It's great. I mean, I can I can tell them, like, specifically the mo- the best teamwork that we can have is, hey, grab me an IV. I'm going to drop this med. That's one thing you can't do with an EMT, and it is what it is. If you're the paramedic, sometimes you got to walk and chew gum, and you might have to do what you got to do. But having the ability to be like, hey, run that, you know, capnography. want to see what's going on there. Hey, can you ventilate for me? Hey, can you throw the EKG on and print something out? Hey, can you get an IV, can you do these things? Those That tiny little difference in scope of practice can be super, super helpful. Those, just just the IV starts, you know, and the and all of those other little pieces, the end title and having the ability to have someone else with you that can recognize that. And if you have a good AEMT, even if they're not certified as a paramedic, if you work with them long enough, I'm sure you've experienced this before too, they can pick up on what you're going to do. You know, they can start, get you kind of get synced up. They can kind of think about what you're going to do next. And, you know, there'll be times where, you know, I just had a guy a couple months ago in VTAC, still at a pulse, still talking, walking around. And my partner knows we're going to take care of that. We, we know that that's bad. He was already doing the IV before I even got to the, to the back of the truck. And it's so helpful having that type of relationship. That being said, though, I've also worked with solid, solid EMTs that have saved lives with BLS skills. And um, I remember you told me, I think, at paramedic school one time, sometimes when you're intercepting as a paramedic, all you're doing is quality BLS skills, right? You might be going to a rural area, and if they have someone that's unresponsive, not breathing, you know, or a kid that's not breathing, something they don't really see that much, you may do nothing except for grab the BVM and ventilate. And maybe just you have that little bit of extra experience. Maybe you can bring some of your techniques in. Um, but a lot of the times we're just showing up and we're just doing high quality BLS skills. And if you have an EMT that you're working with that does high quality EMS skills, great. It just frees you up to start thinking about some other stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I've been spoiled in most of my paramedic career because we were dual paramedic service. Uh, so your partner was one step ahead uh, when you were doing this skill. He knew exactly what you needed to do. But you can achieve that with with a, with a solid BLS partner or even an AEMT. Uh, and when um, that's part of that uh, eyes wide open, willing to learn 
if if they know that what the next step is, uh, that makes your your job so much easier uh, and, and makes that person so much more valuable. Absolutely. And I, I think sometimes we can get uh, a little bit weirded out by the way the NREMT tests, how we always train you to have that um, just constant flow of information. You're saying everything out loud. You know, I'm palpating the eyebrows. I'm palpating the nose. I'm palpating the, you know, the top jaw, the lower jaw, all those things. But it, it also does translate into the real world because when you get a new partner, I know when I have a new partner on the ambulance, everything we do is out loud until we get comfortable with each other. And the more comfortable you get and the more you work together and the more calls you guys run, it gets to a point where you don't necessarily need to talk about everything. But absolutely, being a newer member or being you know, on your first couple calls with somebody, you, you may need to talk out loud a little bit more than you normally would until you get to know one another and kind of get your thought processes down. So the last thing I want to cover before we end the episode is just you've been around, you kind of you kind of done a lot here, and we really appreciate you being on the show today. I know you helped me a ton in paramedic school. You had a ton of really cool insight, a ton of awesome, awesome stories, which maybe sometime we can come down and get a couple of um, just, just great information that you're not going to get from the textbook. Any of you guys that are new, Bill, what would you tell them? People who want to be, let's say they want to be the, the lead flight paramedic for the whole state. They want to do all these cool things with EMS, um, but they're just starting an EMT class or they're just starting an A class or they've only been in EMS for a couple of years. What's your, if you culminated everything that you've experienced, what's the best advice you could give them? Uh, just know that you can and that uh, if you're confident and that you put your mind to it, you can absolutely achieve that goal, uh, but not not through being too cocky or being ahead of yourself. Take the time, follow the steps, and listen to all the people around you because they have really good information. And then gather what you can. Uh, take all the information that is uh, presented to you and formulate your best path to your success. And uh, like I said before, just being, uh, just willing to listen and then uh, follow the lead of a, of a really good mentor. Um, and, you know, the sky's the limit. Bill, I want to thank you very much for being here. Hopefully you guys can pull from some of this experience and the conversation we had. One of the reasons we're doing this podcast is because the vast majority of the stuff that I use every day that I feel like has made me a better provider that I really engage with, that really helps me, is stuff that I didn't learn from the textbook. I didn't learn it from sitting in class and looking over the airway or looking over the diagram of the heart. The things that I learned were from conversations with people that I trust that have been there and done that. I know today we've talked a lot about having a mentor available and working with those guys and you know the leadership podcast and this podcast, you're kind of hearing these common themes of keep your ears open, try to pay attention to the people around you, pull from that experience, and it really is true. The goal of this podcast is to provide you with some connections to some people and some insight and some experience that you maybe normally wouldn't have. If you're just reading your textbook and you're getting your EMT cert, um, this type of conversation, this type of mentorship, this type of experience is not something that you can always get just from the curriculum itself. So I hope that you take the time to listen to this. Um, Bill, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate it being here as well. Um, and, and you coming up and in uh, doing the interview. Um, I just wanted to close with uh, that your education is just a foundation. That's all it is. And and if you, uh, your experiences through your career is how you build on that foundation. And it's how you build uh, that will determine who you are and define you as a provider. Thanks, Bill. You